All right, so we're going to talk, I already told you, we're going to talk about legacy, but before we do that, we've got to deal with some things. So I want to deal with uh, something he says right away. He says, I won't leave you as orphans, I will come to you. What did Jesus mean when he said, I will come to you? I think this is important for us to just talk about for a few minutes, because there's a lot of argument over this. A lot of, if you read different commentaries, you'll get different explanations as to what they think Jesus meant when he said to the disciples, I'm going away, but I'm going to come to you. It says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. What does that mean? Some people think, and I think this is a good argument, but some people think this means the coming of the Holy Spirit. So, so Jesus has been talking about the Helper. He's been talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not going to be present with them anymore in his human nature. But he's saying to his disciples, by giving, appointing a successor, by giving them the Holy Spirit, that he's, that he's going to be present with them in his divine nature. Right? That's what Christians believe. We believe that we are indwelt with the Spirit. We talked about the invisible, indwelling presence of the Spirit. We believe that every person that is in Christ has the Holy Spirit within them. So, so some people think that what Jesus is referring to here when he says, I will come to them, I will come to you, is at Pentecost that he will come to them in the form of the Holy Spirit. For my part, my opinion, I don't think that's what he means. I'll give you another, another one, and I have some good company. <laughs> some people think that what Jesus means when he says, I will come to you, is a reference to his return at the end of the age. I think that's the least likely of the three that I'm going to give you because contextually he's not talking about his return at the end of the age. At least the first one he's talking about the Holy Spirit. The third one, the third possibility of what Jesus means when he says, I will come to you, is that he's referring to his resurrection. Jesus knows he's going to die he also knows that the Father is going to raise him. And he's speaking to them that he's going to come to them. There are other places in the Gospels where Jesus actually uses that language. He says, after I've resurrected, I will come to you. He, 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 he says in Matthew 28, he refers to his coming to them after his resurrection. Also, we're going to see this in John chapter 20 in a few chapters. The scripture tells us that when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't just go to the popular place of Jerusalem and show himself to everyone. The scripture tells us that when he rose, he had a very specific intent. People did see him, but do you know who he went looking for immediately? You do know. The disciples. He wanted to reveal himself his resurrected body to the disciples. It wasn't just this general, like, I want to win a popularity contest here. I want to show up in the most populated city of the world and the most, the most populous place in Jerusalem and just reveal myself to get some fame. No. He showed up where the disciples were because he wanted them to know that everything that he had said about himself was true. 
vindicated in the resurrection of of himself. Verse 19, I think, speaks of this. He says, yet a little while and the world will see me no more. Why will the world not see him anymore? It's not a trick question. He's going to die. The world's not going to see him. He's going to die. But then he says, but you will see me. What's he talking about? When are they going to see him? After he rises, after the resurrection, they will see him. And then in verse 20, he says again, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. What Jesus is saying is when he rises from the dead, everything that he's been talking about up to this point, they're going to understand. Remember, there's a lot of confusion. You, I don't know if you remember this, but he's already foretold Peter's denial. Peter's going to deny him. He's confused. And now we've got this whole farewell discourse. Don't forget that Peter is going still to deny him. And and when Jesus dies and then he is resurrected, all of these things that he taught them are going to start to make sense. And so I say that I will come to you, I believe is connected to Jesus' resurrection. When Paul debated the philosophers on Mars Hill, he said something interesting that I just want to read to you. Acts 17, verse 30. Paul was in a debate with the modern philosophers of the day, and he said this, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, that might be confusing to you, but listen to what he says here. And of this he has given assurance to all. By what? Raising him from the dead. I think what we're seeing here is a reference to Jesus' resurrection. The resurrection authenticates everything Jesus said. The resurrection vindicates Jesus. He wasn't just making up stories. The resurrection says that that the, the check that Jesus wrote through his life and his death cleared for payment and you can be forgiven. If there is no resurrection, then the check is still hovering around the bank of heaven somewhere, and and it's bounced, and and there's no payment. And we could have no assurance. Paul says we are of the most people to be pitied if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. If the resurrection isn't true, if the resurrection isn't real, then Jesus plus nothing doesn't equal everything. If the resurrection's not true, then we're just playing church here. If you believe the resurrection is true, though, and you must in order to be a Christian, then it's signed, sealed, delivered. You're Jesus. He is yours, and you will be with him forever. Amen? So, I just wanted to to deal with a few things as we talk about legacy. One other thing that we should look at in verse 20. John chapter 14, verse 20. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me 
and I in you. I read my Bible for a lot of years without paying attention to a small word in. I in. That word makes a, that word has huge consequences for you. Huge consequences for every believer of Jesus Christ. In has to do with this idea of our union with Christ. And friends, it is a, a, a doctrine that I didn't spend enough time thinking about my first 15 or so years of pastoral ministry. In changes everything. Union with Christ is where we find our assurance. Union with Christ is where you go when you have an anxious and troubled heart. Paul always talked about not believing about Jesus, but believing in Jesus. It's not enough to believe facts about Jesus. We have to believe in Jesus. The Greek word in is actually very simple, E-I-S. And it actually translates into. It doesn't actually translate in. It actually translates into, which means we are called as Christians to believe into Jesus. So that if you have believed into Jesus, your life is inextricably bound up in Christ. Nobody said amen. <laughs> the reason why you don't say amen is because you haven't thought about this. You haven't thought about this. I haven't thought about this enough. You haven't thought about this enough. This, this changes everything. I heard one pastor say this. This is, what, this is another way of understanding. You, you want to know one way of understanding union with Christ? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It means if you're wrapped up in Christ and you don't have anything else, you have everything. But if you have everything the world offers and you're not wrapped up, you're not bound up with Jesus, you haven't believed into Jesus. Maybe you've believed about Jesus, but you haven't believed into Jesus you are destitute. You have nothing. Jesus said, what would, it gain if the whole man, what would a man gain if he gained the whole world but forfeited his soul? In other words, what would it gain you if you lived in Chester County, had a beautiful house, had a nice salary, didn't worry about much, but you hadn't believed into Jesus? You believed about Jesus. Nice guy. Good teacher. But you haven't believed into him. Then... then then what Jesus says is you can have everything the world offers and forfeit your soul. It'd be better to grow up poor like I did and have Jesus. I heard one man say it this way. This is what union with Christ means. What's true of Jesus is now true of you. If you've believed into Jesus. It's not true if you haven't believed into him. What's true of Jesus is true of you. What belongs to Jesus belongs to you. 
That's amazing. Maybe the pandemic, maybe politics have exposed that you've looked to other categories, categories of the earth, categories of the flesh, for your confidence, your comfort, your power. Maybe troubles and trials have exposed that you've looked to money, to medicine, to technology, to wisdom, for confidence, and now all you've got is God, and that's a good thing. I read a tombstone in Puerto Rico when Amy and I visited. Amy knows Spanish. I don't. But on the tombstone, I read something that really stuck with me. It was a real simple statement. I love simple statements. And on his tombstone, this man had written, Con Cristo Todo. Sin Cristo, nada. Some of you are going, hmm. Because you know a little bit of Spanish. Con, with, Cristo, Christ. (laughs) You got that one. Todo, everything, all of it. With, Christ, everything. Sin, without, Cristo, Nada. Nothing. You know nada. Con Cristo todo, sin Cristo nada. Is another way of saying Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let's talk about legacy. We have this incredible legacy, and the legacy is for those in Christ. And I want to talk with you just for a few more minutes about the legacy that we have. And there's like these chords, and the the language of chords means that if you're in Christ, you're bound to Christ. If you're in Christ, you're holding on to Christ. And so there are these chords to this legacy that that makes what Jesus has left you, what he has given you, such a powerful thing thing. His legacy belongs to all who are in Jesus. The first chord of his legacy is the word. He says it this way in verse 22, another one of disciples. There's a lot of disciples named in this passage. Have you caught that? Thomas asks a question. Um, Who else? Philip asked a question. Peter was in there. Um, He's got his comments. And declarations, and now we've got Judas, not Iscariot, right? Judas Iscariot left. He's gone. He's decided to betray Jesus. He took off. He's not at this dinner with them, but obviously there was another disciple who was named Judas. So there was two Judases, okay? Well, this Judas, not Iscariot, Judas, 
asks a question. He says in verse 22, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Then it says Jesus answered him, but Jesus didn't really answer him. How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. He didn't answer him. But he said something important. Now, Jesus has already told them in the farewell course, he told them before, if you love him, you will, if you obey me. If you love me, you will obey me. Here, he doesn't say that. He says, here he says, if you love me, let's say, you'll keep my word. It's a difference. What Jesus is prioritizing here is the value of his word. The value of God's word. I wonder how much you value God's word. I wonder how much we, Brandywine Grace, value, treasure God's word. Do you treasure it? Some people have died for this. You willing to die for it? I'm truly asking the question. I don't know that I'm willing to die for this. Are you willing to die? Some people have given their lives for this. Burned at the stake because they believed that this was God's word. How do we value it? What Jesus is saying here is there is an inseparable relationship between your love for Jesus and your love for God's word. So you could find out a lot about yourself. If you say you're someone that loves Jesus, then that means you ought to love his word. And if you are someone that would say you love God's word, then you are likely growing in love with Jesus. In fact, if you're trying to do your devotion, we've been talking about this in the Spiritually Fit class, which has been amazing. It's been so awesome to do this with like 15 people just gathering and talking about what it means to be spiritually fit. And what we've, and we're changing the course as we go. Jairus and I constantly just revising this thing. But one of the things we've realized is if, if spiritual fitness doesn't have a lot to say about God's Word, then you're never going to get spiritually fit. You can't get spiritually fit without God's Word. You can't get physically fit without watching your diet. You can't get physically fit without moving. You can't get physically fit without some weights. You cannot get spiritually fit apart from God's word. It doesn't happen because the two are inseparably linked. You, if you are growing, if you're reading God's word and asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you, then you will invariably be meeting a goal. And the goal is not so you can say, look at how good I am, Lord. I do my quiet times all the time. No, that's not the, what you get for this is joy in Christ. And then your joy in Christ makes you want to read the word more. And you read the word more and you grow in your love for Jesus. Those things are inseparable. Let me ask you a question. Is How would you evaluate your love for Jesus by examining your love for God's word? 
I often like to ask people what their Bibles would say. I'd love to prop my Bible up here and do a Q&A with my Bible. I'm sitting right there on a stool. And then you could ask him any question about me you wanted to ask. Describe Kenny's relationship with you. And then he began to talk. Now imagine if we brought your Bible up here and had a Q&A with your Bible. What would it say? I haven't seen him for years. I think he forgot where he put me. <laughs> Based on the amount of time he sticks his nose in here, he must love Jesus. Dave Sharp says all the time, and I love it, if, I'm, if a person's Bible is falling apart, their life probably isn't. But if your Bible's in pristine condition, your life probably ain't. Jesus left us a legacy of his word. Let's talk for a moment about the Holy Spirit. He's left us this legacy, and that legacy includes the treasure that his word is for us. But he's also left us the Holy Spirit. We talked about that last week, but Jesus brings it up again here. Look at verses 25 and 26. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So this is interesting. Like You can't do your devotions apart from the Spirit of God. You don't know anything unless the Spirit of God opens your eyes. That's why I pray, open my eyes, warm my heart, mold my will. That's the work of the Spirit, taking the truth of God's Word and applying it to your hearts. You've never grown, ever, one step towards becoming more like Jesus except that the Holy Spirit was doing a work in you. You might not have thought of it that way, but that is what's happening. True gospel holiness is the growth that comes when the, the Spirit of God takes the truth of the gospel, all that God did in Jesus to save us, and applies it to our hearts. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit was sent in his name, not as a substitute. He didn't say, I'm sending him as a substitute. I'm, I'm, I'm sending him as an ambassador. And then he says that the Holy Spirit will teach you and remind you. You know, Jesus was, I think this is the word, a peripatetic teacher. You say, what? <laughs> he was a peripatetic teacher, which means that, you know, the scriptures often refer to him as a rabbi, which means teacher. And, it's, and the scriptures often refer to the disciples as followers, learners, students. But Jesus' school of theology was a mobile one. He said to them, follow me. And then he walked and taught. And they followed and listened. 
And most likely, they didn't have journals with them. They didn't have, they couldn't say, wait, but Jesus, hold on, I might need that when you're going. Let me write that down. Let me get my pen out here and just take note there. This is why Jesus often taught so vividly with parables. He taught these incredible stories. We have this way of remembering stories. People hardly remember the things that I teach from God's Word, but if I tell a good story, they remember it. So the trick is to try to connect the story to the truth. But Jesus did that all the time. It was referenced today. So Joe had this prophetic word for moms, the, the wandering, the, the 99, leaving the 99 to go after the one. What a vivid imagery. Jesus was teaching lessons through that imagery. But he knew that they would never be able to remember everything that he taught them. So what did he do? He left them a legacy. He gave them the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit was going to teach them new things and also remind them of the things that they already taught, that they were already learned. Jesus is, has left us the Holy Spirit to teach us. And, and I'm so glad that Jesus decided to take care of our, our, our inability to remember the things that he said. <laughs> I forget so much. And I need the Spirit of God every day. I'm in the Word. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help me. And He teaches me new things, and He reminds me of old things. How many of you ever read a passage of Scripture? And it's like you read it for the first time. I never saw that. It's like you're learning new things, but then he also, doesn't he do this? Sometimes he reminds you, of like, I've known that for years. Why am I not living? Like, that's true. And I love that in the Are You Spiritually Fit class, there's some new believers. Matt's been coming out. I don't even know what your last name is, Matt. I call you Robo. Robbins, <laughs> right? <laughs> but he's a new believer, Guys, I'm telling you, you would love to sit in there. You should see the things he's saying, man. The Holy Spirit is opening his eyes. I've been following Jesus for a long time, but sometimes I look at the things that he sees, and I'm like, man, I passed over that a long time ago. What's going on? Spirit of God, alive in his heart, helping him to see things. But then I get an email from Nicole recently, who, who uh, Nicole Chris, who was just telling me, she, was just, she just said, um, you know, I've been following Jesus for a long time, but I've started to read through the Bible all the way. And in the, the last few years, I've read through the Bible cover to cover. And she said, I am seeing now how a proud, what a proud person I am and how the Spirit of God is giving me humility. She's been following Jesus for 20 plus years. That's the way it ought to be in our lives. The Holy Spirit always teaching and reminding. As part of the legacy that he's left us, he's left us the word. He's left us the Holy Spirit. And then the last thing he's left us, you'll find in verse 27. This is the final part of the legacy. Peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. If you ended up in Jesus' will, his earthly will, you didn't get much. 
The only thing we know that Jesus owned was a robe. And the scriptures tell us that the soldiers gambled for it. No IRA. No trust fund. No real estate. No bank account. No massive amount of money. But his legacy included this monumental cord. Peace. My peace I leave with you. I give to you. Not as the world gives. How's the world give? You know this. How does the world, when the world makes treaties of peace, how long is it before they're broken? <laughs> yeah. The peace of the world is temporary and tentative, not the peace of Jesus. I think about my brother. I have four brothers. My, 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 the bro I'm the oldest, but I, I have a brother who's about a year younger than me, and I, we loved each other. He was my best friend growing up, but, man, we fought, too. Man, we had some good fights. You guys that had brothers, you know this. And, and one of the things we would do is we would, we didn't call them this, but we would make these peaceful truces in the middle of an all-out war. Now, what was interesting is he was bigger and stronger than me, but I was older. And that makes all the difference in the world when you're fighting with someone. Because you got to honor that. <laughs> and you use your mind. He could have beat me up all the time, but he didn't know he could beat me up because I had him convinced. And I can remember one time, like, he would get so angry with me. And I remember, I remember all these times, our fights would end this way. Like, he would come after me, ready to take my head off because I was bad to him sometimes. I teased him mercilessly. And, and he came at me. I have a, if you come up close, if you want to see it after, after the service, if you come up close enough, you will see a scar right here on my eyebrow. That was from when I teased him so mercifully making a fort. We were digging a fort out that he picked the shovel up and he threw it right in my face. Sliced me right there and I, I carry the mark of it. But then he helped me to the house while my head was like full of blood. And we got in the car and he held the rag on my head until we could go get it stitched up. So we did love each other. But I can remember, I can remember these times where, where we would make these truces. And I remember I would get him in like what we call a submission move. A submission move is when you get somebody bound up and they have to tap out. They have to give up. You make them say something. You hold them there. I'm not letting you out. I'd get his arms all up in a weird position. Or I'd put his arm behind his back and I'd hold it there and I'd just keep raising it. What? What are you going to do? I promise. Peace. I promise. I remember this one time like, I held his arm up there and I said, promise you're not going to hit me when I let you go. 
And he, oh, I want to hear, I want to hear, I want to hear. I lift it up a little bit. Promise. Promise and I'd raise it up. And I can remember, I don't know why I believed him. But he said, I promise I won't hit you. Peace. That peace lasted all of a half a second. And I didn't see, like, out of, I saw the, the hook coming. Caught me right there. Remember when mom got, when dad got home that day, we both had black eyes. I from that, and then I, the peace was broken. It was on again. Only this time I wasn't going submission. I gave him the same thing he gave me. The world's peace is like peace between brothers. It's fickle. It doesn't last. It's not eternal. It's tentative. It's, it's manipulative. That's the peace of the world. That's not the peace that Jesus gives. Romans 5.1. Romans 5.1. I'm just going to read you a passage of Scripture. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's everything that Dave was sharing in communion this morning. We have peace with God. We're not at war with God any longer. If you are here and you're not yet a Christian... The bad news is you are at war with God. You're at war with him. You have rebelled against him. And I want to tell you, friend, it's a war you cannot win. You will not win this war. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent Jesus to die in your place. It's amazing. The terms of peace that are offered to you, all you have to do is accept what he did in your behalf. Believe in Jesus' name and you'll have peace with God. You'll believe into him and you'll be united with him forever and ever and ever. You can have unspeakable peace with God. Christian, you know what it's like to sin to do something that you know displeases the Lord, you've grieved the Holy Spirit, you know, and it drives a wedge. You know that feeling? Nod your head if you know what I'm talking about. You've driven a wedge in between you and God. There's like, and, 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 and we come up with all these ways in which we think we have to deal with that. And oftentimes it's some kind of, I got to be better, I got to do better. God's got me on probation. As long as I can prove to him that I'm a worthy disciple, then he'll love me again. And, and then I'll have peace with him again. Even when we sin, if you are in Christ, you don't enter back into war with God because Jesus dealt with that. You're not at war with God any longer. Now you have peace with God. Even when you sin, you have peace with God because it's something that Jesus purchased for you. You're never at war again with God. You have peace. What a legacy Jesus has left us. You're going to go from here if you're in Christ, armed with his word, empowered by the spirit, and blessed with the peace of God. What a legacy. The word, the spirit, his peace. Armed with the word, empowered by the spirit, blessed with the peace of God. That's who you are. Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Amen.